0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the CrossFit Journal Audio Edition. I am Matt, and today we are reading What is Fitness? Part 2. Adopted from Greg Glassman's L1 lecture on February 21st in 2009. What is Fitness? Part 2. This concept started with me having what I call a belief in fitness. I was, and still am, of the view that there is a physical capacity that would lend itself generally well to any and all contingencies, to the likely, to the unlikely, to the known, to the unknown. The physical capacity is different than the fitness required for sport. One of the things that demarcates sport is how much we know about the event's physiological demands. Instead, we are chasing headlong this concept of fitness as a broad, general, and inclusive, adaptive capacity. A fitness that would prepare you for the unknown and the unknowable. And we went to the literature to look for such a definition and could not find anything. The information we didn't find seemed esoteric, irrelevant, or flawed, logically indoor, scientifically. For example, to the date, American College of Sports Medicine cannot give a scientific definition of fitness. They give a definition, but it contains nothing that can be measured. If it is not measurable, it is not a valid definition. The first three models. And so we started playing with the definition and came out with three operational models. They were clumsy, but they had utility. They guided us and kept us on this path towards this fitness. The first model originated from Jim Colley and Bruce Evans of Dynamax Medicine Balls. They produced a list of physiological adaptations that represented the gauntlet of potential physiological adaptations in an exercise program. You can improve cardiorespiratory endurance, stamina, strength, flexibility, power, speed, coordination, accuracy, agility, and balance by exercising. They gave reasonable definitions to each of these 10 so that they seemed fairly distinct. Keep in mind, however, nature has no obligation to recognize these distinctions. These are completely man-made. The model is an abstraction to help us understand fitness better. What we did with this was we said that a person was as fit as he or she was developed in the breadth and depth of those 10 capacities. And to the extent that he or she was deficient in one capacity relative to any cohort, he or she was less fit. This is a balance, a compromise of physiological adaptation. The second model is a statistical model based on the training modality, a hopper. Like those used to determine a lottery winner, it is loaded with as many skills and drills from as many different sports and strength and conditioning regimens imaginable. It could be agility drills from the track one rep max bench press from football, Fran, Helen, or Diane from CrossFit, Pilates, and yoga. Do not exclude anything. The more the better. Then, line up everybody willing to participate, turn the handle, pull out a task at random, and then put them to the test. Here's the contention. He or she who performs best at these randomly assigned physical tasks is the fittest. It may very well be that the fittest man on earth is in the 75th percentile for each event picked. In fact, being best at many things would tell me immediately that you're not as fit as you could be. For instance, if you have a 4 minute mile time, thousands of people are fitter than you. Part of the adaptation to get a 4 minute mile is that it coincides with a max best press of about half your body weight and a vertical leap of 3-4 to four inches. That is part and parcel of adaptation. That is not a character flaw, there is no value judgment. Rather, you are not advancing your fitness. Instead, you are advancing a narrow bandwidth of specialized capacity. Everybody probably knows what he or she does not want to see come out of the hopper. What I have learned about fitness, about sport training, about preparing yourself for the unknown and unknowable is this. There is more traction, more advantage, more opportunity in pursuing headlong that event or skill that you do not want to see come out of the hopper, then putting more time into the ones where you already excel. That thing you do not want to see come out of the hopper is a kink in your armor. It is a glaring deficiency in your general physical preparedness, GPP and fixing it will give advantage where it does not always make sense, maybe mechanically or metabolically. We have countless examples of this from amateur and professional sports. At the heart of this, we have learned that some things about GPP that the world never knew before. There is more opportunity of advancing athletic performance via advanced GPP than there is in any more sports-specific strength and conditioning training. For example, I'm not sure why more pull-ups makes for better skiers, but they do. We have some theories why that occurs, but we do not actually need to know the mechanism. We are focused on advancing performance. So the second model is a statistical model using skills and drills. I'm looking for a balance of capacity across training modalities. The third model is used in three metabolic pathways. These are the three engines that produce adenosine triphosphate, ATP, the currency of effort of all energy output. Power is plotted on the y-axis and duration of effort, time, on the x-axis. The first pathway, phosphagen or phosphocreatine, is a high powered and short duration. It can account for about 100% of max human output and taps out at about 10 seconds. The second pathway, lactate or glycolytic, is moderate powered, moderate duration. It accounts for approximately 70% of max power output, peaks at about 60 seconds, and terminates at 120 seconds. The third pathway, oxidative or aerobic, is low-powered, long-duration. It accounts for approximately 40% of max-powered output and does not fade away in any reasonable time for which I have the patience to measure. The phosphagen in the glycolytic pathways are anaerobic. Oxidative is aerobic. All three engines work all the time to some extent. The degree to which each is activated is dependent on the activity. One idles while the other two rev. Two will rev, one will idle etc. Our thought is this, he or she that is fit, as he or she is balanced in the capacity in all three of these engines, a human being is a vehicle with three engines. Suppose we discover that there is a fourth engine, we want capacity there too. We develop capacity in all engines through our prescription, constantly varied functional movement executed at high intensity. We are looking for a balance in bioenergetics, the engines that fuel all human activity. Definitions of fitness 2002-2008 Although clumsy, these are the models served as the libness test for the fitness we are after. And we moved forward. We launched CrossFit.com and posted the workout of the day. Constantly varied, high-intensity functional movement. We are collecting data from the WODs and starting to ask, what does it really mean to do Fran? What does it really mean to do Helen? What does it really mean? To say your time went from 7 minutes to 6 minutes to 5 minutes to 4 minutes, some interesting things came out of this. The workout Fran is 21 15, 9 thrusters, 95 pounds, in pull-ups. Complete the workout by doing 21 thrusters, front squats with 95, then drive it overhead, then 21 pull-ups. Get your chin over the bar from hang anyhow. Then go back to do the thrusters for 15 repetitions, 15 pull-ups, 9 of each, stop the clock, and we get a total time for the effort. Power is force times distance, work, divided by time. The work required to do Fran is constant, force times distance. It does not change unless your height changes distance, The distance we travel, the movement's range of motion changes, the load changes, 95, or your weight changes. This means that every time we do FRAN or a specific benchmark workout, the work is constant. So you do FRAN for the first time and have a time, one for it, T1. If you do it a year later, the same work was completed, but you have a separate time, T2. In comparing the two efforts, we find that the work quantity cancels and the difference in the time is the difference in the power produced. There will be a measurement error in this calculation. I can measure force and weight with a scale, the distance traveled with a tape measure, and the time with a watch. There is not a lot of error therein, but there are some concerns as we are calculating a body's displacement by using the center of mass. For example, however, as long as the work is constant, the same error occurs with every effort. And in a comparison from one effort to the next, the errors cancel each other out. Zero order error. This is the ratio of T2 divided by T1 describes my progress in the accuracy and precision of the watch, which is the best of my three tools, stopwatch, tape measure, scale. By tracking the difference in the time between the workout attempts, we are looking at changes in power. We did not have to study this much longer to come to this understanding that your collection of a workout data point is represented your work capacity across broad time and modal domains. This is your fitness. With power on the y-axis, In duration of effort on the x-axis, the power output for any effort can be plotted. Take a handful of efforts that take approximately 10 seconds to do so, measure their power output individually, and then get an average of these efforts. Repeat this exercise at 30 seconds, 2 minutes, 10 minutes, 60 minutes, etc. Plot these data points. With adequate scientific accuracy and precision, I have graphed mathematically an individual's work capacity across broad time in modal domains. A fourth model in the definition of health 2008. Along the way in using these three models, we also observed that there was a continuum of measures from sickness to wellness to fitness. If it was a measurement I could quantify, something of interest to a physician or exercise physiologist, we find it would sit well-ordered on this pattern. Take body fat for example. If you are 40% body fat, that is considered morbidly obese. The numbers vary by community, but 15% is often considered well or normal. 5% is typically what you would see in an elite athlete. Bone density follows a similar pattern. This is a level of bone density that is pathological. It is osteoporosis or osteopenia in the earliest stages. There is a value that is normal. We find gymnasts with 3-5 to times normal bone density. I can do this with a resting heart rate, flexibility, any of the 10 general physical skills and even some subjective things to which we cannot put numbers through analytically methods, i.e. mood. I do not know of a metric that runs counter to this pattern. This observation led us to believe that fitness and health were varying different measurements of the same reality. This also means that if you are fit, you first have to become well to become pathologically sick. It tells me that your fitness is a hedge against sickness, with wellness as an intermediate value. If there's anything in your lifestyle, training regimen, or recreational pursuits that has one of these metrics moving in the wrong direction, I want you to entertain the possibility you are doing something profoundly wrong. What we find is when you do CrossFit, constantly varied high intensity functional movements, eat meat and vegetables, nuts and seeds, some fruit, little starch, no sugar, and get plenty of sleep every night, we do not have this divergent side effect. It does not work such that everything is improving except one value. We knew this observation could be another test in assessing one's fitness regimen. Recall that we represent fitness as the area under the curve on a graph with the power on the y-axis and the duration of effort on the x-axis. By adding a third dimension, age, on the z-axis and extending fitness across, it produces three-dimensional solid, that is health. And with this measure, I have the same relationship to things that seemingly matter, high-density lipoproteins, HDL triglycerides, heart rate, anything that the doctor would tell you is important. I am of the opinion that health would be maximally held by maximizing your area under the curve and holding that work capacity for as long as you can. In other words, eat meat and vegetables, nuts and seeds, some fruit, little starch, no sugar, do constantly varied high-intensity exercise, learn and play new sports throughout your life. This will buy you more health than will trying to fix your cholesterol or bone density with a pharmaceutical intervention. That is a failed approach. I want you to understand how these definitions of fitness and health are different from those found in exercise science literature. First, understand that our definition of these quantities are measurable. One of the problems with exercise science is that it would very rarely meet the rigors of any real science, chemistry, physics, engineering. Secondly, it is almost almost never about exercise. For example, maximal oxygen consumption, VO2 max, and lactic threshold are correlates, maybe components, but absolutely subordinate to what happens to work capacity. Who would take an increase in VO2 max for a decrease in work capacity across broad time and model domains? What that would look like is breathing more air than you've ever had before on a treadmill test in a lab, but losing a road race. Similarly, someone's lactic threshold could increase but he or she still gets choked out in a fight because of the lack of work capacity. I can make a list of hundreds of these metrics and no one has ever produced a great athlete by advancing them one at a time. It does not happen. I can move them best by doing constantly varied high intensity functional movements, doing what looks like Fran, Diane, Helen, turning fitness into sport by working with fixed workloads and trying to minimize the time by making every workout a competitive effort among the cohort. And when I do that, what we find is that these metrics do spectacular things. Suppose a man at 90 years old is living independently, running up and down the steps and playing with his grandchildren. We would not be concerned if his cholesterol numbers were high. There is a problem looking at only longevity. Imagine a curve that stretches 90 or even 105 years but has a very low work capacity for its duration. That is not what CrossFit is about. It is about vitality and capacity. What can you do? It is imperative for making meaningful assertions about training that fitness and health are measurable. The area or volume under the curve gives me a scientifically accurate, precise, and valid measure of an athlete's fitness or health, and we are the first to have ever done that. When we showed this to the physicists, the chemists, engineers, they agreed that there is no other way to assess the capacity of something, be it a rocket, motorcycle, truck, or human. Tell me how much it weighs, how far it moves, and how long it takes. Everything else is entirely irrelevant. You have just listened to What is Fitness Part 2 by Greg Glassman. Thank you guys so much for listening. And as always, if you have any comments or questions, please reach out at Matthew Souza on YouTube or on Instagram. And thank you guys so much for listening. We'll catch you on the next one.